Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who could be wearing a jade egg with me right now, but I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Obviously, that jade egg thing, I absolutely would never do such a thing because Jen Gunter told us not to on my podcast. But today in the red chair, we have someone even better, Taffy Brodesser-Ackner. Is that right? Yes. Brodesser-Ackner. Brodesser-Ackner. Um, she's a writer for the New York Times and the New York Times Magazine, one of my favorite writers. In fact, possibly my favorite, except Olivia Nuzzi would hit me if I said that. Oh, um, and so I love her. There's so many amazing things. Who's written several incredible pieces, including a profile of Gwyneth Paltrow that everybody read last year. She's also the author of a new novel about marriage, divorce, and ambition called Fleischman is in Trouble. Kathy, welcome to Recode Decode. I've so been looking forward to this today. Me too. This is it is really exciting to, to be about. here. Let's talk about this. So you're you're on this bookstore for your novel, but you're so yes. well known for other things. So explain to people how you got to the novel. Let's go through your, your to the novel. early history from birth, essentially. Now, let's go from <laughs> how you just started writing these big, giant profiles in a very different way. Now, let me just preface saying, I worked for the style section of the Washington Post when I was in my early 20s. Uh-huh. And that was sort of the heyday of profiles like this. And then they went away, like right. Stephanie Mann's field. Sally Quinn wrote a lot of them. There were all kinds of amazing Mary Badiata, just astonishing profiles right. that were sort of blew the top off of the profile genre. And then it changed right. really quickly. So let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you got for the times. My first job was at a soap opera magazine mm-hmm. uh, where I would write profiles. Okay. Although, yeah, every, although everyone hated them. Everyone mm-hmm. would say, ah, oh, Taffy filed a profile. We're going to be here all night. Why, why was the problem? I don't know. They're exactly what I write now. Right. Okay. So I so think it was just— Were they mean? Or? No, never. Right. I, I was never a mean writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was just not—you know, I went to school for screenwriting. Mm-hmm. So I, I did not study the form. Mm-hmm. What I did was I started writing personal essays because I had a baby at home, mm-hmm. and I couldn't go out, and I couldn't do anything— that involved reporting. It scared me too much to try to tally up the babysitting hours or try to figure out if that was my new life. Mm -hmm. And I started writing personal essays, and those did pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then one day, I was so sick of myself. Mm -hmm. I had, like, wrung out every experience. Like like diapers, whatever. (laughs) Like everything. But, like, also, like, it wasn't about—I rarely wrote about parenting. Mm -hmm. It's about like my body. Right. It's about it was about giving birth, like the science of giving birth and how awful uh-huh. giving birth is. Yes, it is indeed. How crazy it is it that is. we've all been born and this is how we do like how no one has disrupted this. <laughs> Can you please talk to your people? Yeah, we just what we want is to get twenty something white men to get on this. No. Let's, let's just move along. Let's not let like, them near like an Indio. Like a <laughs> somehow the data Indio, would be sorry. stolen and then Trump would get reelected due to it. Go right. Ahead. So Go ahead. I um I was writing these personal essays, and one day 
I just got sick of myself and started writing about other people mm-hmm. with their consent. Like right. I started, I pitched to magazines and slowly, slowly, um, the first one I ever did was a Q&A with Kristen Ritter for Playboy magazines. Okay. Randall gave me that. Uh-huh. And then... I came to New York. I was living in L.A. at the time. Mm-hmm. My husband— And you wanted to be a screenwriter. You I wanted to be a screenwriter. Right. But I wasn't good at it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't good at it because I was writing the—like, in the 90s, I was taught to write these, like, trite, like— I mean, I think Con Air is, like, a great movie. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I was taught to do this thing where, like, there's a brooding hero, and he right. has six problems, and he has to get them solved. And mm-hmm. at page 30, he would mm-hmm. meet his, his girlfriend. Right. And she would be redemptive. Right. And if he wasn't likable enough, you could— Give him clubfoot. Right. And if you wanted people to hate him, he would kick a dog. Like there were all right. of these like very tropes. These tropes. Right. And I was I was obedient and mm-hmm. I was following these tropes. And it was only later. Obedient. That's an interesting one. I was. I was obedient. I just I was like, interviewed this is Natasha Leone, who is not obedient. She's not now obedient. She has found a place, which is interesting. But back then you couldn't do that. Right. Right. She also, I mean, I've interviewed her too. She like she was washed up. She she she, she, called, she, she was, said she was in Noversville for the longest time. She was, but also she was you know, like, she, I think that she went to a yeshiva on the Upper East yep. Side, and she, was she kicked out of it, or was she, did Something she like leave it? it? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. She was not, she was always doing the thing she's doing now. Mm-hmm. I was always doing the thing I'm doing now. I'm mm-hmm. I'm no Natasha Leone, but mm-hmm. I was always doing the thing I'm doing now, and right. I just recently so appreciated it. So screenwriting wasn't for you in the, in the way it was in the 90s, because you had to screen- fall into a Or it formula. was because I didn't have enough imagination mm-hmm. to say, um, Okay, now how can I take these rules and parlay them into like the truth of something? I think you couldn't then. But go. But do you think so? Because yeah, there was couldn't. like this indie explosion. No, because I think you you still couldn't. It still was a certain kind of indie explosion. That's I think once nice Netflix came think. in, that and Amazon and others right. could start to and there was sexism, it. which no one had told right. me about. Right. <laughs> no one had told me. I was from a house full of girls. Yeah, and, and I went to an all girls school, and we thought it was cured. We right. thought it was like it was like <laughs> we thought it was like something we read about. Right. right. We thought it was like a Margaret. At- Wood book uh-huh. of like it was like reading about the Salem witch trials mm-hmm. like oh that sounds that. like it was terrible right, yeah um, and then we got out into and then I was a soap opera magazine which right. you know there is you know the woman is the thing at, mm-hmm. at, in a soap opera at least mm-hmm. and then I so you I started start, writing profiles I started writing these profiles mm-hmm. and the thing that I found mm-hmm. I was still following the same formats I had learned mm-hmm. in terms of storytelling like a three right. act structure a beginning a middle and an end right. Right. callbacks mm-hmm. uh, running jokes things right. uh, th- things like that themes right? right things that I wasn't reading in other profiles mm-hmm. not that I was reading so many profiles I was re- right. I was still reading screenwriting books I was still reading novels and I was writing these things as if they were personal essays. Right. I was yes, applying the rigors. Right. But it was their personal essay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wasn't always in them. Well, you're I commenting. You're I hearing s- the inside y- of your head right. while you're talking. Yes. About. I, d- I always did that very boldly mm-hmm. um, because I read a lot of GQ. Right. And GQ did that. They did have GQ them. did that. And mm-hmm. I think that like a lot of a lot of what happened to me was that I re- was that the things I was reading. I was reading what men had permission to do, mm-hmm. and I was assuming that I would have this permission. Right. And then when I assumed that I had this permission, I went in, and I tried to be very easy to work with. Mm-hmm. I know these are, like, the wrong messages. Mm-hmm. I was easy to work with, mm-hmm. and I was always on time. I filed always spell-checked and in the same font. Mm-hmm. And I the, the one big flaw I had was that I wrote too long. Mm-hmm. And, l- like, literally the way I became a long-form writer was that I would write— good stories 
that were very long. Right. And that if you took out a there was part just a of them. a little Twitter thing about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Was it Felix Salmon? Um, one of them. Uh, who said? Yeah. Which one? Too, wrote that you write too long, that there's too long profile. Did you see that? There was a whole Twitter thing about long profile. I was like, it's Maybe. Perfectly. He yeah. loves me, though. No, he does. But there was someone saying, I can't read any more 10,000. I mean, I love, I, lo- I, love, I love you, too, right. Felix. Um, I can't read. Oh, it was, I can't read any. It was in reaction mm-hmm. To the uh, the ten thousand word cover story, it, it was all like a Twitter circle jerk right. um, that started with something that Jeffrey Goldberg of the Atlantic said. That then other people were talking about women who could write ten thousand word stories, which I, I I think that the whole conversation around that was strange. Was strange mostly because it ignores. What is true about it, mm-hmm. which is that it's not—nobody thinks women can't write 10,000-word stories. Mm-hmm. It's that the people assigning cover stories in mm-hmm. particular, they assign cover stories based on the cover story they want to read. Right. And I don't know a lot of men who mm-hmm. would say that they want to read a Gwyneth Paltrow cover story or right. a Weight Watchers cover story. Right. Luckily, I have an editor-in-chief— and an editor, I have Jake Silverstein and Mike Benoit, and they want to. They do. Mm-hmm. They 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 want that. So, so you started writing these pieces, and 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 got known for profile writing. I got known for profile writing, and then with a heavy dose of taffy. <laughs> yeah, like it, right. it. It was more like that. I would come in when I was needed. Mm-hmm. I would, would. I always felt like a writer's job is to tell you how you're supposed to metabolize the information you've been given. And I mm-hmm. think some people probably do it maybe more artfully than I do, and they don't need to come in and explain it or have a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. The way I did it was to have a reaction to it. What's powerful is that there, a lot of those profiles, which you saw in Vanity Fair and other places, felt right. cooked. Like, right. they felt cooked, and here right. you are, like, struggling. That's no, I am, like, I— everything, You can feel your struggle in— I am all in, yeah. and I am always struggling. Right. I am, like, never—I'm always ambivalent. And— So how'd you get to the New York Times, and you were writing these, and they— Oh, my gosh. So I was writing these—I did not write one profile. I was just writing some good stories. And then I had a meeting with Adam Sternberg, who is the culture editor at the New York Times Magazine then— and I mentioned Zasha Mamet in hopes of maybe doing an essay about the children of celebrities who are now celebrities. Right, but she bef- was on, uh, on girls. girls. Mm-hmm. And Alison Williams was on girls, and and That's I, right, Brian I Williams yeah, and I thought I was, I thought that was going to be my thing. And before I can could say anything, I said her name, and he said, "Yes, we should do her." Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I understood I was in a moment where something incredible was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I I talk about this as luck. Mm -hmm. And he has recently, he he says whenever I say that, he said, no, you were were nice to be around. You Mm -hmm. seemed good to work with. Right. And so I will take that credit. And I'll say, yes, I'm... I always assume that editors want the best possible. I don't understand people who don't, you don't like understand to be, how difficult some people are to work with. That being an editor, like how hard it is to get really good stuff out. You mean from the editor? No, from the writer. Often, I mean, I've been both. So yeah, I've been both. But I, I'm relatively cooperative when I write. People are always surprised. They think I'm going to like throw right. Bits people and are then su- put in a jewel to them, like, but kick their kick the shit out of them while I'm delivering. The but jewels. you don't. No, because like, editing actually time. always helps. Right. Exactly. 100%. I can't believe that like. There are people who want to help make your work better without taking any credit for it, and we're supposed to 
treat them like 100%. shit? 100%. I was just talking to someone, not on the Rico Jeff, but it, they, I was like, you're not talented enough to be this difficult. Your work is not good enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. That is a, but it's so true. Like, I, have a, yeah. I have a thing, a prick to... Um, uh, it's a prick to productivity ratio, <laughs> and you know I Have use it with tech this? people. I've talked about it. I should you publish should. it. It was like it should Steve be Jobs. App. Okay, he was a prick, but boy, the productivity yeah. was high, so yeah. he gets to do that. Bill yeah. Gates, you know, like you better I mean? be such a genius. Yeah. if you're going to act like a genius, and even then, is it that good a thing that we want? And anyway, yeah. so that's how I think. About <laughs> I it. It's think, like yeah. you're a real pain in the ass, and you cannot do this unless you deliver me such a like you poop out something so good that it's right. like gold. Like, I've never been an editor, yeah. but I know how many writers are trying to do this and I never thought it was even an option to have a tantrum. I mean, you hear about people treating fact checkers. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. These are people who want to make sure you don't get sued. Right, exactly. For a small amount well, of good money. editors. And then of course there's editors who are uncreative if, as a writer from right. the other side, like who are just not creative in any way and want right. to stick you in a hole that's I've had some of those. Yeah. And I don't work with them again. But mm-hmm. mostly I, I find that those Oh, I love editors. They are products of the the magazine culture. Yeah. And there's some magazines you find out that you should stay away from. Right, exactly. So you started writing and then you started writing regularly for them. Now you're a writer for the New York Times, correct? And I now I'm a staff writer at right. the New York Times magazine, but I started out at the New York Times magazine. I wanted Freelance. very bad. Yes. Yeah. As, and then on contract, I was mm-hmm. I very badly wanted to write for GQ. Mm-hmm. A GQ editor named Mark Lotto left GQ and started Matter. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the yes, Medium of magazine? Yes. Uh-huh. And on They've the first, a lot of them over there. Yes, yeah. yes. And on the first day, he said to me, what do you want to write? And I gave him two pitches mm-hmm. that GQ had turned down. And he said yes. And those, the, one was about Britney Spears and one mm-hmm. was about Paula Deen. And those helped make my career. Right, and the Paula Deen one was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. I remember, I saw the tweet. It said, "Come." it was her comeback. It said, come join us on the white sandy beaches. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I will join you <laughs> on the white sandy. I, the, yeah, and I was so excited. I was so excited oh. to tell everyone I was a Jew. Uh-huh. And then they did a they did their impressions of Jews for me. Oh, it was amazing. Wow, yeah, I remember that. It's anyway, strange. So yeah. you, um, you'll show it to me later. So you started writing the magazine, and you'd written a whole bunch of different things, but the one that got a lot of attention, obviously, was Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, so <laughs> that's it very talk well. Talk about that because we've had Gwyneth Paltrow at our conference. Uh, our, 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 it was the All Things. It was an interesting experience. Um, she was there to talk about uh, abuse online because she gets more than, than anybody. I've never seen it. She can say hello, and she gets like. Framed. It doesn't right. matter what she does. Right. Even if she's at her most annoying, I get some of that. Yes. But she literally can say, hi, have a nice day. And it right. suddenly becomes She is like, what our millennial friends call triggering. She is. I know. It's really <laughs> funny. And so I was like, come and talk about that because you can take it. But she she did an okay job. But she she I've been following her because I thought Goop was really interesting. Yeah. I was immediately struck by it. And everyone sort of made fun of her. I'm like, no, no, there's something. It's sort yeah. of like Ariana Huffington. Like, there's something here, you know, right. with the Huffington Post. And a lot of people laughed at it when she launched it. And so I and she's had several CEOs, I know. And so I was always intrigued by Goop. And then it sort of got out of control as a, as a product. Right. So how did you get to that? Because she'd been written about a million times. By the time I wrote about Gwyneth, mm-hmm. there was n- not an editor in New York who didn't know that I would come out of whatever contract I was in if offered a Gwyneth Paltrow story. Mm-hmm. So much so mm-hmm. that she was in some kind of PR crisis. Mm-hmm. 
And this had, was all over the Jen Gunther who I've had on the yes, podcast. The, Jen yes. Gunther's a doctor oh, who I know. has yes. pushed away a lot of these ideas. I was joking about the jade egg, but there was a story about putting a jade egg in your vagina. On I mean, she's great. She does a, a she does great public job. service yeah. of making sure that you know that just because you know, Goop does the does the wellness thing. Of, hey, we're just asking questions, right. not realizing that th- the things that are print matter. Mm-hmm. Matter, right? right? Like exactly. things that things that we we say with authority have right. authority, right? Right. Um, underwire bras was right. a great thing. I think Jen Hunter did, and it, it goes on and on. It goes on and on. What she does is she just fact checks Goop, and what right. is Goop started off with selling cool things that Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, likes. like here's a sweater I like. Sweater and everyone's like, I can't I want afford. That sweater. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but some people can't afford it. Right. Exactly. I think that's the other thing that bothered people right. because some people can't afford it. The idea, and of, she does have flawless taste in lots of things. Like her, the way you described her kitchen was she's so, perfect. She's perfect. Like she's She's the only person I've ever met yeah. who is perfect. Like right. she is, she is everything that she doesn't claim to be because she's too perfect to claim to be. She mm-hmm. really is. She lives as this cipher and this mirror to show you all the ways mm-hmm. that it could have gone for you right. had <laughs> you been way luckier right, than right. you are. Well, your kitchen scene of her making pasta, not getting a, in a white dress with the children and not getting a spot on her. Nothing. And it was perfect food. Nothing. And she was drinking and still nothing happened. And, <laughs> and it was perfect and it was delicious. And there was a room with a fireplace where we were suddenly eating by candlelight uh-huh. and then we were smoking this one perfect cigarette right. and I went on a t- I was still smoking a year later. I was like, I guess I'll just finish this pack. Right, exactly. And she was like, oh, when she saw me like four months later. Uh-huh. I want to talk I, about the reaction. She that. said. She probably liked the piece, didn't she? She did. I, I thought so. All right, she let, let's get, so you wrote this piece. So okay. she was, she became an internet person. She became like this internet, you know, I talked to her about this, like what she was doing and I thought it was actually quite Brilliant, because a lot of celebrities do these sites, you know, right. tons of them. Right. Jessica Alba had one. I think that's still going honest. Um, tons and tons of inter- celebrities right. try to do different internet things. Uh, Matt Damon had something, Ben Affleck. Yeah. She's the only one who's really, you know, Reese Witherspoon, I think, has something. Yeah, else. she has that. Clo- the thing is, that the thing that they all do mm-hmm. that she does differently mm-hmm. is they all go down market. Right. They all say, here, you two can look like Reese Witherspoon. Best of luck. <laughs> um, you. With these cheaper you, versions. You could, yeah. Her, I think it's Draper James is her clothing mm-hmm. line. And it makes the Reese Witherspoon lifestyle accessible. What's sort of like Jackie. What's her name from Charlie's Angels? Jacqueline Smith. Yeah, Jacqueline Kmart. Smith and Kmart. Kmart as right. if Jacqueline Smith had ever walked into a Kmart. Right. What Gwyneth Paltrow did that was different was she said, I'm not, like, this is for people who are like me. Mm-hmm. There are those people. And mm-hmm. they would like eye cream without endocrine interrupters in it, mm-hmm. which is not to say that her eye creams, I tried to get them tested. Mm-hmm. I was going to do a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very hard to do that kind of testing. I would imagine. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to bust this wide Especially open. Especially when it had like vamp, uh, you know, vampire bat placenta. I mean, when, yeah. I mean, <laughs> or something. I mean, also you have to get a waiver from the vampire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you decided to write this. What was really fascinating about this piece is it was devastating and also complimentary and also yearning. And it was, it was really, everything I feel about her to be in a room with it her. It was never mean. It was no, never. No, I try never to be mean. You could easily do a mean and there were moments that were truthful that were unfortunate for her but that's the way it seemed like that's you took a picture of her that's what I kept thinking you took a photograph of her this is what I think about all these profiles Mm -hmm. is that everyone the thing we think is mean is actually our judgment right they stand behind who they are like at the beginning of my career I would protect people from Mm -hmm. their quotes right 
But then I realized they knew who I was. Mm-hmm. I was in a room with them with a tape recorder. Right. They were trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not my job to protect them from themselves. Right. And it's also not my job to take things out of context mm-hmm. so that tabloids can use the quote and it get right. that sort of play. And I'm lucky that I've never had to work at a place that right. demands that of me. Mm-hmm. But she stands by who she is. Mm-hmm. And she's radical. She, like, was telling me, she's like, I don't know, we're going to get married, and I don't know if we're going to live together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to wear a white dress. And all I could sit there and think, it's like, how come I never thought of not wearing a white dress? How come mm-hmm. I never thought of not ha- doing everything traditionally? How come my parents couldn't figure out a way to get divorced and overcome whatever? It, my mother's answer for that is, well, they have a lot of money, and we didn't, and that's really what, <laughs> what it is. But it's not. But the idea of mm-hmm. doing things differently, she's probably one of the most creative people I've ever met in that mm-hmm. way. And I wonder if a lot of that is how ostracized she's been and how traditional, like, she's so ostracized from everyone that it never behooved her to try to fit in. And also some of the, the claims on Goop are dangerous, are actually dangerous. And that's but that's not part. what we're talking about. Right, exactly. No, right. but no, it's her as right. a personality. All right, when I get back, I want to talk about how you got to writing the book then. I was writing okay. these things. I want to talk about more of your profiles and then talk a little bit about Fleischman is in trouble when we get back with Taffy Ackner, who's a journalist, who's a wonderful journalist and the author of a new novel, Fleischman is in trouble. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It will be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash Notepad. We're back with Taffy Brodesser-Ackner. She's a writer for the New York Times, and she also has a new novel out called Fleischman is in Trouble. We're talking about her journalism career right now. We're just talking about her Gwyneth Paltrow profile. So she liked it. I could, I imagine she would like it, and not because she's stupid. She she's under- not stupid. Yeah. What I've learned about what people like and what they don't like is that it depends on what their goal was mm-hmm. for participating in the story. And her goal, I think, I have not discussed this, this with her in the, you know, afterward— But her goal was to be taken seriously as a businesswoman, Mm -hmm. meaning that you could even say that she's dangerous. You could say, like, you could say all of these things as long as you're moving forward from the story of look at this dilettante actress Mm -hmm. who started a business. Her business is to be taken seriously. It is tremendously influential and it matters to a lot of people. And all you need to do, like, you know, the tier of people I sometimes hang out with, Mm -hmm. um, I remember hanging out with a publicist before her client arrived to an interview and she was just telling me how much she loved goop. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize that like just, you know, the problem well, it's a with guilty pleasure essentially. No, no, no. She was like I that's where I it. go for my recommendations. Right. The problem is is that journalists are writing about it. Mm-hmm. Like the thing you hear about goop is from journalists mm-hmm. and journalists have a lot of reactions to claims that are not fact-checked. They have Mm -hmm. a lot of reactions to things we can almost inherently not afford. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's always crazy to me that we're the ones sent in to evaluate things. Right. Like there are a couple of times that where someone tried to give me a like a Vogue story, mm-hmm. and I would have to say, you know, I I can't do that thing where I pretend I'm a rich lady mm-hmm. who is evaluating this like goat semen facial. <laughs> like I can't I can't do that. There is. I can only. I mean, but there is. Like I can only do the thing where I can't believe there's such right. a thing as a goat well, semen facial. What's interesting, and I want to talk about your White Watcher story, and then talk, start sure. talking about your book. Book is um, you inserted yourself quite heavily in the end, especially. You were the in there lots story. of time. There's lines, and you do those callbacks and stuff like that. Yeah. In the kitchen, you had one, and several places. It, are we on Gwyneth still? Yeah, Gwyneth. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. But at the end, you really that, oh you somehow I linked it back. I just collapsed. I know. You, coll- you linked it back to your sister, and it was oh just my God. riveting to end a profile like that. I really like You weren't in the, the room with her. No, and I didn't end on a quote. Like, no, I, really I was like, like the, this is about Taffy, not about Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> but a, in a great way. This is about all of had you been exposed to the stimuli I was exposed to, this mm-hmm. is where you would end. And who better than to end that profile mm-hmm. than the person that she is trying to compel? Mm-hmm. The Gwyneth Paltrow business story is not about Gwyneth Paltrow as much as it is about your reaction to Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. and your attempt at Gwyneth Paltrowhood. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I try to do at the end of that profile, and it's a real story. I was like, I feel great. Mm-hmm. I am going to be so hydrated. Mm-hmm. And I drink all of these waters. <laughs> I just keep drinking all of these stop. waters. And then, but then I'm not even in an Uber because I'm a journalist. Right. I'm on the Hertz van. And I like, and I'm like about, I'm screaming, like really on that van. It's like someone has to help me. Uh-huh. Someone has to help me. And they, ha- and I have to, I almost miss my flight. Right. I still have an injury in my (laughs) knee from running for that plane and running to the bathroom. And I realized... You Nobody can't just you. be hydrated. Mm-hmm. You need someone to also take you to the bathroom. Right, right, right. Like, it's not, like, the, the her argument, uh-huh. which I understand, is mm-hmm. like, why don't you just eat some more produce? Right. And she doesn't understand that no. you have to acquire the produce right. and you have to wash the produce. No, it just shows up at her house. It does show up at her house. Uh-huh. And she doesn't understand why, if other foods are showing up at my house. Why everybody. Why, yeah. And she yeah. also is a master of willpower. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, like... And she said to me, it is like, um, it's something I I cultivate. Mm-hmm. And I guess I only think about cultivating Very Kardashian. What, willpower. You know I, I would love you to profile the I did, a, I did, did Chris you? Jenner. You did Chris Jenner. That's right, you did. I yeah. did Chris Jenner, the which whole is not family. Qu- Yeah. No, you need to do the whole I would thing. love some time in a room mm-hmm. there. there. Actually, I have to say, I've spent a lot of time with Kim Kardashian. She's lovely. I'm sure she is. Lovely. It's I'm shocking. also one of four sisters. I feel like yeah. we'd get along yeah. great. <laughs> like, you need all of them all I need together. all of them together. And possibly to just, a brother. Yeah. And, and, and uh, everybody, the whole gang. The I'd whole see, gang. I'd like I, to see you with the whole gang. I would love to do so, that. So you then did Weight Watchers, who the, the, the CEO's trying to sort of really internetize that company, the new CEO. Right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you pick these? So why did you go to Weight Watchers then? Weight Watchers was a story. I wanted to do a story about American fatness. Mm-hmm. And that story I did backwards. I said, what is the thing that I'm seeing? The thing that I'm seeing now is that is that people are, and, and also I saw it in in magazines that I had been writing for, because mm-hmm. I was still freelance when I did that story, that like, you're not, you don't want to be thin anymore. You want to be healthy. You want to be fit. You don't want to lose weight. You want to be your best. And all of these euphemisms that were making me crazy, because mm-hmm. if like, if you want me to lose weight and I'm not even allowed to talk about it anymore, mm-hmm. I just can't participate in a universe <laughs> yes. where words mean nothing. Right. And I thought, what could it possibly be for Weight Watchers? 
the company is called Weight Watchers. An alternative would have been, well, we'll get to that. I predicted that. Did I not predict that? Yes, you did. Yeah, I should get like some high profile Silicon Valley consulting like prediction, like psychic network. Yeah, it's now WW. Mm -hmm. Although the last I heard of that, you know, they hired Kate Hudson and Mm -hmm. people went nuts. and, Mm -hmm. And also that like, the amount of people in those meetings who were so, they were like, you're not letting thin people in now, right? <laughs> like, we don't, we need to be, we need a safe space to talk about being fat. Because even the thin people were still fat people. Like, that's yeah. how they felt. They're like, I am a fat person who is thin right now. Right. And if you take that language away from them, uh-huh. then not only can they not exist outside those rooms, they can't exist inside, inside the rooms. rooms. Yeah. Yep. So I could have done it on lean cuisine as well. Uh-huh. That would have uh-huh. been also an interesting way. Right. In. But Weight Watchers is such a huge, and I love the idea that when I went to join for the story, mm-hmm. they're like, we have like seven of you. <laughs> is it, isn't it weird that there are seven Taffy actors? Like, it's all me. I don't know any person, I don't know any American woman who, uh, of a certain, you know, of a certain something that does, has, does not have a long history with Weight right. Watchers. Yep. And they were open to it. They mm-hmm. wanted to talk. They had a new chief science officer, a job that used to be a dietitian and was now a psychologist, right. which kind of told you everything you need to know. I find that in terms of stories, when it occurs to you, it occurred to you for a reason. You know how sometimes you're watching Facebook mm-hmm. and suddenly something you thought of is there in the algorithm and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, have they tapped my brain? And yeah. no, it's that you were you were attacked by the same series of stimuli that like the algorithm is perceptive. Right. Yeah. And exactly. so it knows my algorithm is perce- yeah. like yeah. I, like what I have found is that when I want to do a story, Gwyneth Paltrow, for example, I will find that there, Gwyneth Paltrow has something to say. I will find that Weight Watchers is interested in something to say, mm-hmm. that there is something new, mm-hmm. you know, that there is something new going on. Right. And going through the noise that we have now with, mean, all, with all the enormous noise that happens online. It's realize. amazing. So you so you just pick them based on how? What, what is the thing? On something that's bothering me. That's why, right. like, the ambivalence that you're talking about and the struggle you're talking about, mm-hmm. those are all real things mm-hmm. that I am seeking to work out. And I am very lucky that I am given range to do those things. Mm-hmm. I am also, I mean, I'm also lucky that I have the, I guess the, I guess it's confidence to say, like, I, this is the story for right now. Right. Um, right. The Weight Watcher story, I mean, I don't want to body shame, mm-hmm. but that's a skinny masthead we've got mm-hmm. at the Times Magazine. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I had to explain a couple of things, which, which you to guys their credit, have never gone past four almonds. <laughs> I was like, should we bring in a special editorial team for this one? But luckily, I, they all they all uh-huh. listen and they all know that my pain is real. So I'm going to finish up talking about journalism in this modern age when there's so much noise and so like, you're one of the things that happened is your story exploded on social media like which one you're all yeah. of them do yeah. all of them do thank you and so i'm, I'm thinking like because you're soup they're super long they're very in-depth there's a lot of you in them but mm-hmm. they are twittery they're like they've got a like and it's very the, the good side of twitter not the yeah not, not the dank hole that can yeah. be sort of <laughs> but it's got the like lightness yeah but it's not light either it's a really interesting no kind of, i feel like you're like a writer for the new age and yet from the old days too. They aren't heavy profiles, but they're not light either. It's a really interesting... I think some of them are very heavy in terms right. of their like emotional 100%, content, exactly. but they go down easy. So how like, do you... Yeah. Yes, exactly. How do you think about writing now when you when you do have an audience that's online? You do have... It's read online. It's got, right. it's, it's reacted to. 
Um, and it and you're very active yourself, which is interesting. Yeah, what, I'm a big talker. <laughs> a big talker. I'm not like a reckless. I always so wanted to be a reckless. How do you think about when you write? Because it used to be you drop these stories and then go away at the New York Times. Now the New York Times has to participate in the in the world, essentially. Right. I think that the danger is you have to know how to listen and to not let a couple of loud voices be the story of your story. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what this sounds like. I have a great. I have great editors. Mm-hmm who are concerned with not being too to the left or too to the right and mm-hmm. who are concerned with getting a real story. And I've been very lucky to learn that whenever you're telling the the absolute truth, it, like the Weight Watchers story was a controversial, yeah. could have been a controversial could've story. Yeah. Because in the end, in this kind of world of body positivity mm-hmm. and anti-dietness, which I would love to participate in, mm-hmm. I wound up on the side of, I still terribly, terribly want to be thin. And I think that that could have exploded. But if you are heartfelt Mm -hmm. and you are good at explaining yourself, I think you can say anything. Mm -hmm. I think you can make your point of view known. I think that the thing I see most often is is that there are reactions to profiles or reactions to stories. And, and they move very quickly now. And the, the way people cancel you and that you're the— wor- And it, it just means that you didn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. Like That's you, a really good way of putting it. Your impetus mm-hmm. was probably pure. You have something you want to convey that is more middle of the road. Most of the journalists I know are more middle of the road than they are extreme. Mm-hmm. And you didn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. And that's my, my fear. But I have editors who make sure. And also, in certain cases, you know, I had a body positivity person read my Weight Watcher story. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, like I had a lifelong dieter read it. And I had um, a, like a photo editor mm-hmm. and a fact checker who had both been members of Weight Watchers who mm-hmm. read it and cried. And that's when I knew I was fine. Right. Do you think, what, do you, do, and you move from topic to topic. Do you, you yeah. I would love you to write more about tech. Because, you know, the best piece I ever written about, say, Airbnb was by Jessica Pressler. Because she oh, came God. fresh. She's, she's, she's amazing. The, she's no, the best like, at everything. You, Olivia, and her are the troika of feature writers, as far as I'm concerned. Th- we thank you. We, it's okay. Right. I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting—I uh, read every word, which I—you don't—people wow. read differently now, too, yeah. which is funny. They read Like they, they read, read a, zigzag a zigzag of, like, but, what is the thing? No, but I'm waiting for your lines. That's what's really good about oh, it. Thank you. And same with Jessica and the same with Olivia. Right. There's always a zinger in there or something really smart right. um, that you want to not miss and you don't want to miss in the context. But have you ever thought about writing about politics, tech, all the yes. big things now? Are you working on I'm on, on a political a... profile right now. Oh, you are? I With am. Who? I can't say. I'm not is allowed to say. Is it Mayor Pete? No. Okay. No, those were all spoken <laughs> for. <laughs> Mine is far— uh, f- Marianne Williamson. I'm not saying. Marianne Williamson. It's got to be. Can't say, <laughs> I can't, no, can't say. No. Gonna, no. No. I resolutely say, how Absolutely. dare you? How dare you? She's going to be on stage. I'm so excited. Um, I'm very excited for everybody's on stage. Yes, I yeah. hope that the person I yes. am writing about may or may not be on stage. All right. Yes, they are on stage. Backward think, circle yes, conversation, okay, right. denying everything. All right. So let's get into how you decided to then go into fiction. Let's talk oh, about okay. the book that you're here for, actually. Okay. The book is Fleischman is in Trouble. Explain to the people what it's about. Okay, it's about a man who gets divorced on a plot level and his wife drops the kids off. Right. But first of all, he gets divorced and then he suddenly and then Tinder. And then like suddenly everything. like he, he can date all over the place. The thing, thing that set me on fire about mm-hmm. this was that mm-hmm. the when I turned 40, I'm 43 now. Mm-hmm. The when I turned 40, the amount of people coming to me, friends mm-hmm. whose weddings I'd been to who said I'm getting a divorce mm-hmm. and I'd say, "Oh, are you doing okay?" and they would show me their phones and they'd say, "You'll never believe what's going on." 
And that's the thing that set me on fire at first, uh-huh. that I wanted to write about what it was like when you that's were— That's a good piece for in you. The ni- I know. Right. I, and and by, yes, yes. Yes. In the 90s, you had to show up in your disgusting human form, <laughs> look people in the eye, and try not to look too needy, and try not to look like you wanted it so badly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And now suddenly there are these apps where you can just name yeah. your availability, right. your desire, mm-hmm. and— you Some don't people have, think you're negative or women, but go ahead. Yeah. For we'll men, get to that. Like, I know. For, but 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 okay. Yeah. Yes, but I agree. There's there's different. There's a, it's, there's great have, pieces to be written about the, you the don't psychology have, and right sociology of all this. You don't have to leave your home. No. To have a date. Yes. <laughs> to like go to arrange a date to go. No one has to find you. No, not at all. And, and especially it's I, to me it, it's the absolute. The, the center of it, I guess the quintessence of it, is with gay apps and stuff, yeah. like gay men apps. Years mm-hmm. ago, there was an app called M2Mforsex.com. Uh-huh. Years, a hundred years ago, it was in San Francisco, which was perfect. M2Mforsex. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it says it. It was a website. <laughs> but I was fascinated by the matching technology. So you'd go, oh, I'm in the Castro, and I'd like to meet someone downtown at 4 o'clock. I'd right. like to be peed on. And I like this. And it, yes. And then it went, blah, blah. And I was so intrigued by it. I was like, wow. Yeah. And I was like, not the sex part of it. I called a very major internet person, Jerry Yang at the time, and I said, you need to buy this company now. It's yeah. called m2mforsex.com. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, uh-huh. no, it's not about the m2m. It's like that they can match. Think about if you can match anybody anywhere, what do you need to do anything for? Because the, the algorithm will match you. Right. And it's, I said, can you imagine? And there was another one called Imahima in Japan. It was, I am here. I'd like to have a drink in this part of Japan, right. uh, Tokyo. And I was like, this is this. And there was one called Six Apart. Same thing. They were all around this idea of matching. And I was like riveted to this idea. Riveting. And when you apply into human relations, it becomes fascinating. Yes. Um, and there was the Nancy Joe Sales piece uh-huh. that was sort of awful about a dating, right? About right. the idea of dating. Um, so much so that I woke up my then 12-year-old kid and I said, if you ever speak to women like this, my son, if you ever speak to women like this, I'll kill you. And he's right. like, what are you talking He's like, uh, <laughs> is this the like, time to wake up? <laughs> so, you, so this was started. So this, you were around, people were doing this. I was so excited. I called up my GQ editor right. and I said, I want to do a story mm-hmm. on either like a profile of a modern divorce in this mm-hmm. whole new world. And he said, you know, we don't really do that anymore here. Mm-hmm. We, like, we'd need a celebrity bent. But okay. also, the other thing, the other problem is, is that the reader won't understand mm-hmm. what you mean. The reader grew up with apps. Right. And I thought, but there has to be a way mm-hmm. to convey. Like, I felt the storiness of it in me the same way I felt, the, like, Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. rising up mm-hmm. through my spleen, <laughs> out of my trachea. I must into, Yeah, like, in, through my Paltrow. pores. I must. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a call. And so they were just using these apps, and they noticed that their whole life was different, had that, become— that, like, like people who were not consider—people, especially my friends who were, I guess, the ones who are hyper-articulate mm-hmm. as opposed to stunningly beautiful, mm-hmm. suddenly had men and women who were interested because— They were hyper-articulate. Say what, you can, say what you will. You can lead with your words. Mm-hmm. Although— And your wit. N- yeah, um. and your wit. But there are no mirror neurons, so you don't ever—you know what I always think about? I always think about in— my family's Hasidic world, mm-hmm. they're matchmakers. Mm-hmm. And if you ever look at a matchmaker's list of, you know, they keep a file on every single man and what mm-hmm. he wants. And they always say they want a woman who's a size zero. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what that means. Right. Like, uh, does it mean absence of woman? I don't know what it means. <laughs> but it's a size zero. Sometimes it's fair. I'm like, I'm like oh, this is this the goal? I bet you this is a, the right. goal. Yeah. Um, and 
I mean, I'm not a size zero, yeah. and I I don't know if I could have survived in the here's what my actual size is. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I did I did fine mm-hmm. as a person showing up. So I thought that. It, I just thought it was it was endlessly interesting. I thought it was the different idea of from, modern divorce in the age of Tinder and algorithms. Right, and right, right, and also the divorces that I was hearing about were all divorces in which the woman was out earning the man, and mm-hmm. it was never the stated reason for it, mm-hmm. but it was always there. Mm-hmm. Meaning that some kind of traditionalism had been disrupted on a different schedule, mm-hmm. like the the women. You know, I had grown up hearing that I could do whatever I want, mm-hmm. that I could be whatever I want. I don't know if anyone told the men that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if anyone told the men. And so that what happens is you marry a guy who's a feminist, right? Uh, forgive me. For, yeah. Or who thinks he's a feminist or right. is trying to be a feminist mm-hmm. and is doing, being the change he wants to see in the world. Right. And he's so happy for you to do the thing you want to do. But he also wants, like— he also needs you to still tiptoe around his fragility. Mm-hmm. He still needs you to—he didn't understand that encouraging you meant that you wouldn't be there at the door with the martini mm-hmm. that his mother was at the door for his father right. for. Right. So who has them—like, who gets them—does the woman get the martini now? Mm-hmm. Should there be a martini? Mm-hmm. Is there always a balance? Is everyone allowed to be who they are? And the answer is no. Right. And so— Along with the dating changes, and the dating is all kinds of amazing, and it's all kinds of fucked up, mm-hmm. just like right. dating when I did right. it. Right. The idea that a man still expects a traditional role from a woman in any in any way mm-hmm. g- makes me have a lot of questions about marriage and its and its and whether or not it can be sustained, like mm-hmm. whether or not as an institution. In three generations, we're right. not we're not going to have worn it out. Right, right, right. And gays are just getting here. Right, right. I, so, know. <laughs> I know. They only gay people want to get married and go into the military. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Think about it. Like, that's what we want. What? Just a minute. Um, so, so you so you write this book, and 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 you couldn't write a piece about it. I couldn't write a piece about it. So, right. I, the minute we got off the phone, right? I, I think I was on Fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. I pulled over into a pan quotidian, and I wrote the first ten pages. Wow! And after in that, a pan quotidian, yeah, it must have been a pan, very it was inspiration. A, yeah, yeah. There was no Wi Fi because there, there so could have been easier. like avocado toast. To there could have been quinoa. Quinoa. The quinoa could have gotten um, quinoa. jammed in the uh, <laughs> jammed in the keyboard, and who who knows? We wouldn't like be having this. I like that place equally. I can't Me even explain it. Too. I cannot explain it. I want it. to like it. I know with the farm tables. The farm the, tables and the, the folksiness. Yeah, and, and the Nutella's everywhere. And I know. Nutella's nice. Yeah. Anyway, so, but it's to change. Then you're like, I'm going to change. Then you're like, ah. This is a nicer ah, version of this Panera. This is a Panera. This is a Panera. Who are we kidding? I know. Who's kidding? <laughs> it's Panera with a farm table. Just because you're wearing an, op- an apron doesn't yes. mean you're not a Panera. <laughs> Anyway, so you started writing it, and you. What was your? What's the goal here? Talk, talk a little bit about what you want. Tell the story a little bit of the story. Get people interested in it because it's a great premise. So, so it's like Kramer versus Kramer. If you, some have said yes that it's about it's about the constraints of marriage and the constraints of divorce and children and children in the time that we're living in now, like. Mm-hmm. Where a woman kind of is an unacceptable thing. It's unacceptable for her to assume a traditional role. Mm-hmm. It's unacceptable for her to succeed at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. What's she supposed to do? Like we can we can 
succeed how we want to, but we can't pretend that if we're heterosexual and if we Mm -hmm. are trying to have a relationship Mm -hmm. with a man, that there isn't something that we don't have to consider the regard of those men Mm -hmm. because the regard of those men is what will predict how things go. You could have a man who's not very ambitious, a woman who is ambitious. Mm -hmm. That could be the arrangement. And one day he can still be upset that he never got to fulfill his ambition. Right. That happens all the time. I see it with so many people. They don't name it. Mm -hmm. They don't quite name it. It's just the thing I keep seeing. Right. And so when that happens, all the other crap about marriage who, wait, did you do the vaccination record? Did you you fill out the camp forms? Can you fill out the camp forms? Mm -hmm. Why did we hyphenate our last name? It makes the (laughs) camp forms so hard. Oh my God. I thought we were, because I- It's not like you're lesbians. I mean, I know. (laughs) I know. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe secretly. Yeah. Um, what happened was that my mother was divorced twice, mm-hmm. and she had three children with my father and another child with my stepfather. And she had to go around changing her last name based on based on like where what school she was picking up from. And she right. was the one who was raising us. Right. But then, like I was saying about Gwyneth. I lacked the creativity, like mm-hmm. the millionth difference between me and Gwyneth Paltrow. It's like she has her creativity. I lack creativity. And I mean, my friend Rehan just named her baby. She's married to the baby's father and she gave her baby her last name. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, it could have been that simple. Yeah, yeah, it could have been that simple. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it didn't occur Jeffy, to me. you can do anything you want to do. I'm giving you a piece can of someone, big information. Can you just tell me? It's, can you, you just can write that down do. somewhere that's for what me? I, that's how I operate. Anyway, um, you have to think like a lesbian. You don't have to be one. But, but that's the thing. Like I was so I was born yeah. with such traditional tastes right, exactly. that I was never forced to reconsider anything. Which is what's anything. great about this book. I think that's what's interesting. We're going to talk about it more when we get back with Taffy. I'm going to do this. Broadus or Ackner? But just, which which is your actual name? It, it's Ackner. Ackner. Well, it, then I'm going to say Taffy Ackner, uh, who's a journalist and I'm author sorry, of a new book. We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this. She's the author of Fleischman is in Trouble. We're back with Taffy Brodesser Ackner. Sorry, husband, <laughs> I can't pronounce it wrong. Your resentment Brodesser, is coming through, Brodesser, Cara. Ackner. I'm not resentful <laughs> at all. Um, she's a journalist at the New York Times, one of my favorite profile writers, but she's also author of a new novel, Fleischman is in Trouble. Talk a little bit about doing, you know, here, it's sort of a great age for the New York Times and for writing nonfiction. Talk about writing fiction. So you have this story of this guy whose wife, I can say this at the beginning because it's yeah. right at the beginning. He has the kids. He suddenly gets free. He can date. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And then the wife, the ex-wife leaves she with goes, the children. She leaves him with the children. The yeah. Children. Yeah. So wh- why that? Why was that the way you set it up? Um, honestly, because the thing I was most concerned about in writing a first novel was that I knew I could write a profile, but I didn't know if I had a if I had enough plot mm-hmm. to get me through to the end. I knew a pl- I knew a plot had to be an engine to get me through to the end. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, what is the thing that this woman might do? And the thing that she might do, especially as she's sketched now, she goes to Kripalu mm-hmm. for a weekend. Of course. And then, right, it's the mm-hmm. Upper Side. And then she doesn't come home. Kripalu is a, uh, is a, is a yoga retreat. Yeah. Go ahead. So go ahead. Have you ever briefly lost your child in a um Once. in a in a supermarket? Not a supermarket. Where was it? Yeah. yeah. In, in that the Presidio moment. in San Francisco. Oh God, really? He took off on a bicycle and just I couldn't see. <sighs> I hope you he's still grounded. He, no, he was like, Mom, I knew I was going. I know. Six I wasn't lost. Or five. Yeah. I was like, ah. 
I think the minute you lose your child just for a second, it's the only time you really understand how big the world is. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, you, right. you that's the one you see it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what if somebody is gone without a trace? Do you remember when I, Evan Ratliff did mm-hmm. that experiment mm-hmm. where he went missing and he had this contest? Was it for a while? Yeah, find yeah. yeah, to see if you could find him. I was fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. What if... Someone just disappeared. And what if it was the most taboo thing in the world? And also, I was reading all of these novels or hearing about all these novels about women who disappear. And in all those novels, the woman who disappears is always being altruistic. Or not. Or no, like gone the, girl. Okay. But she's not a mother. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But the mother, in, in the genre of mothers disappearing, the woman is always being altruistic. Mm-hmm. The setup is she looks like a monster, but really... She's amazing. What if so many Joan Crawford movies? What's that, <laughs> What's that one Joan Crawford where she leaves because she wants her daughter to have a better life? Um, it's her the name. Yeah, it's the name of the. In any case, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. She's altruistic and she looks like a monster. That's yeah, exactly right. she's altruistic. She looks like a monster. And like, what if what if she is a monster? Mm-hmm. What if you? What if what if the answer to where she is actually isn't as satisfying as? Oh, she was, she was doing in service of her children the whole time. Women, what what I'm fine. Women are still people, mm-hmm. even when they become mothers. Even right. though the things that caused those books to be written in the first place are true, that a woman Does is like like preternaturally connected to her child. Mm-hmm. What if something goes wrong though? What mm-hmm. if it all gets too much? And I guess that's the most I can say about that mm-hmm. because. You know, I have the, I have like a an OCD thing about myself, where I sometimes do an experiment. Like, what's the most horrifying thing I could do right now? Mm-hmm. Like in this moment, <laughs> right now, what if I reached across and just put my hand on your knee and just like forced you? I've had people. To- <laughs> <laughs> like I used to think. I remember once speaking to a rabbi and uh-huh. thinking, what if I just tapped him on the nose uh-huh. right now and yeah. said. That sounds good. Like, what if I did that? <laughs> I think of it this all the time. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm often, as often when I'm driving, what if I hit this car? Right. Like, what if I just do it? Right. Like, what if I, like, do, I, what thinking, if I just what if say it? take back time for a few minutes, but do the thing you want to do? So you you at least have, like, a plan. I actually do a lot of the things. I like, and then I go, okay, I'm going to do it. Not hitting cars. What's the thing you did? Tell me Oh, back. just, like, should I say this to a person and I just do it? Like what? Give me oh, one. Oh, it was Give a big one. VC. was something, and I thought, oh, this guy is such an asshole, and I... I do it a lot now. I'm right. like, you're just an asshole. And I was like, it feels so good. It and feels really was good. was he like, yes, thank you. Oh, that's mean. I'm like, yeah, that's right. It's meant to be mean. I'm like, think you're an asshole. Like, I think I start oh to gosh, say saying things. I know. Saying things is what I'm, what I'm doing. Taking physical action, no. Right. 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 Not yet. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I was in Atlantic City for a story this weekend, and I watched a couple of choice parenting moments around mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. in the casino. Oh, that's always nice. And I thought, you know, I saw a baby with a bottle with soda in it, uh-huh. like a baby. Right. <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, I was like, what? Like, can can I do it? No, Couldn't because do then it. the baby could get hurt. Like, that's what you have to think about that. What right. Also, they probably have guns. Right. They exactly. seem to <laughs> based on their t-shirt choices. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah They yeah. might have guns. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's your yeah. point. Not Forget casino, it, Jake. It's, a, it's casino, Atlantic unless City. Unless you're in Texas. We, this is what my husband saw. Yeah. Um, a guy was smoking a cigarette on one of the casino carpeted floors, and a security guard came over and said, you can't smoke here. And the guy, looking him in the eye, took the cigarette out (laughs) and stubbed it out in the carpet. Uh Like, 
if you well, want to talk about a story that predicted things, the, the Paula Deen story predicted a right, lot of this exactly, behavior. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're writing about this, I mean, it's interesting because it, it's sort of borne out by anything goes everywhere now. Like anybody, people express themselves like that on Twitter. That right. People express themselves Yeah, on people don't have media. to look at each other in the eye anymore right. and see the right. reaction right. to who they're hurting or what they're right. doing. There, right. There's some really ugly stuff out there. And it takes... A second, and I think the reason I have yet to reach my inevitable cancellation on Twitter (laughs) is that, like, I take a second to think, like, this is clever, but at whose cost? Right, right, which makes you a nice person. So when you you write about fiction, how do you look at fiction now? Because you get so much impact. Fiction has had a a tough time. Some have it has. This is getting amazing reviews. I could not believe, yeah, I was like, I will write this and it will go off into, it'll be this adorable part of my Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. And I'm really surprised at how people are reacting to it. And are you going to sell? Have you sold it for the movies? Have you? We're in the process. We're in the process. We're talking. Sorry, talking. We're in Your talks. Agents are talking. Yeah, to their agents, agents are talking to other agents. But do you like writing fiction better than nonfiction? I felt bodily pleasure writing about it, knowing mm-hmm. that I didn't have to deal with a fact-checking call where someone mm-hmm. turned on me and said horrible things that they would take back later when they mm-hmm. read the final piece. Mm-hmm. Where I, the burden of getting things right, mm-hmm. those are things that weigh on me. Mm-hmm. The burden of pleasing my editors and making sure I give my editor something that will please his editor. Those things weigh on me. The thing that was a problem was that I think the thing I'm good at in journalism is observation. Right. You're very observant. And there was nothing to make people up. Mm -hmm. If you make people up, you can't observe them. Right. So I had to make these people up. And then I had to extrapolate what their... Their particular quirk would be that's that's really hard work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in revisions. That was a lot of the work. Right, what we were doing. Do you expect to write a lot more fiction? I already am due for my second novel. Mm-hmm. It's called Long Island Compromise. It's about wealth. What about wealth? It's about like about. I know some rich people. Do you? Oh. Have you ever met any I rich people? Have. <laughs> I know. Someone's like, you need billionaires. I'm like, I know fifty two. Do you know fifty two? <laughs> it's, it's some number. It's some number that's more than a dozen. I know. At least, like, I know. and I know them like well, and it's sort of weird. It's but weird. And I knew them before they were billionaires. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They weren't rich when I met them. That's what it's about. It's not about the divide between rich and poor. It's about the divide between the kind of rich where you've always been rich and your family's rich and you have never really known about the edges Friction. of survival. Friction. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the other kind of rich, whereas you could be as rich as you want, but you always know what it's like to struggle. And so mm-hmm. you never feel rich enough. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is right. I, you know, I just use that's that, how I, I, I think use that of phrase people. on um, someone was asking me about some of this irresponsibility by tech people. Mm-hmm. And and one of the I interviewed someone from Amazon who was saying we'll continue to make facial recognition software as long as it's legal and the government can figure it out. And you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Wow. That's quite an attitude. And they, right. it's in the same line of the irresponsibility of tech people, like essentially. Right. And so I always say they have all the advantages, none of the responsibility. And I finally said, on, I can't believe I said this on CNBC. I said, I, they said, well, what do you think of these people? I said, well, they're so poor, all they have is money. Right. Um, but what's happened to a lot of these people who right. were poor, because I didn't know them when they weren't poor, but they weren't rich. Right. You know what I mean? Is they get very quickly get used to the convenience and the right. bubble and the lack of friction, and they don't understand. Right anything else anymore. And they right. really don't. And you're, and they sort of take it for granted. There's a town car that leads to a private plane that right. leads to a beautiful home that right. leads to a... And so when you talk about impact, they don't even... They don't understand. 
They don't know what the subways look like. They don't know what's Not around just them. They can take subways. It's just, it's just they don't. Uh, it's a the Q train at best. Yes, <laughs> the Q train. Like <laughs> no, but they just. It's just a different. There's always someone there handing them like the fruit with Gwyneth Paltrow. There's right. always someone. And so when you start to, I had an encounter. Uh, you and I will talk about rich people if you'd like. Yeah. But I was with uh, <laughs> I one of the big founders of one of the big tech companies mm-hmm. and. Uh, he was wearing yoga pants, you know, which I, which I'm always like, please don't. Like, <laughs> and uh, and started doing. I was talking to them, and they they started doing a downward facing dog when I was talking no. to them. And this was someone I've known for a long, long no. time. And it, it was at the TED conference. Okay, no, this okay, makes it even worse. Then that's the fair. Whole thing. <laughs> that no, that fair. sounds like not fair. that sounds right. <laughs> no, but we're having a conversation, a serious conversation. And then they started doing it, and I was like, what are you doing? I've known this person for a long time. Oh, I just I needed to do the downward facing dog, and I was like. Well, we're talking, and now your ass is in my face. What are you doing? Is that why I was wondering where, what position? Uh, downward facing dog. No, but what position were you in? Were you? I was standing the- up with the ass in my face, like okay, in the yoga pit. The whole. The only thing was you too. could do is name is name who it was. I will right now. to you later. Okay, no, I do <laughs> um, and I, I was like, you need to stop doing this. Right. And they were like, why? Nobody else minds. I'm like, they do mind. I said they're just not telling you they yeah. mind. You finish the conversation, then go over there where there's plenty of yoga mats. I'm sure that you can do it. It was a really interesting moment. I I, I never have forgotten it. I was like, wait a minute. Like, like it was fascinating. It's an interesting topic. It's very interesting about what I will tolerate from people I'm interviewing versus people in my life. People ask Mm -hmm. me when I wrote the book. Like if I was writing, I wrote so many features. When Mm -hmm. I wrote the book, sometimes on airplanes, sometimes on weekends, but mostly while I was waiting for an interview subject to show up, Mm -hmm. which could be anywhere from... 20 minutes to three days. Oh my God. Yeah, where you're rescheduled suddenly because something happens suddenly and they can't see you and you're stuck there for a few days. And that's the kind of thing that I won't tolerate. People think that the thing I do is so glamorous Mm -hmm. and it's not. It is is hard to always be the least important person in Mm -hmm. the room. Mm -hmm. And then when they want to be your friend. Right. Well, of course they want to be my friend. I showed up when they said I would. Yeah. I only asked them questions. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to be my friend, you have to hear about my ingrown nails. <laughs> you have to hear about my babysitter who just quit. You have to, like, I'm, I'm, yeah, a, I'm tedious. Like, someone should give a medal to the people well, who are my actual friends. Although I think the friends. best journalists can seem like friends. How's that? Like, Maybe. Yeah, you know what I mean? When I was with, I, I'm always with a bunch of people, and they're like, I thought we were friends. I'm like, we were never friends. Yeah. I said, I don't know how you imagine But that's that. a personality type. Like, I'm, right. a, I'm more, I'm always like this. Right. And people right. say to me, you don't seem like a journalist. And I'm like, right. I don't know how to feel about <laughs> that. <laughs> so let's finish up talking about it. So you're right, Fleischman's in trouble. It's in the stores. So it's yes. complete. You're going on a big tour and yes. stuff like that. Um, you're going to continue writing for the New York Times, one hopes. Yes. 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 I will. I love that place, and I love that job. I can't believe how lucky I am. Yeah. So what are you working on? Are you, besides this, uh, this Maybe. But you're going to do profiles. You're going to continue to profile. I'm, I'm, I'm on the hook for two profiles and two larger cultural stories that are more in line with, like, uh-huh. the Paula Dean story or the UFC story that I wrote that are just about subcultures. Are you surprised by all this attention you're getting? You're getting a lot. Like, I'm, it's like I, a taffy I, world right now. This is what I think. You know, if you go, so if you go to thank you, thank you. But it is. It's, it's <laughs> is that true? It could end. It, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the worlds could end, right? Um, yes, indeed. I think about. I went to the. Do you know we're in a simulation? According to many internet people, <laughs> I knew we were in the matrix. I don't. That's I still don't understand the matrix. No, this, uh, we're in a simulation. That is a very good topic. Wait, wait, what? Elon Musk and Tony Shea, who started Zappos and others, think we're in a simulation. 
Like this the, is a game by a, a future power, a future. Will you give me phone race. numbers to call immediately yes, really after this interview? Yes, it's a really interesting concept. This is a game. Like Trump is just part of a new. It's just that. That's why my eleven-year-old thinks wants to know how we know we're not in a dream. Well, again, but he's eleven. Simulation. <laughs> this is a, this is a, this is an elaborate video game by someone in the future who's a higher civilization. That makes point. sense to me. Anyway, I just thought you'd be, it's a good topic for you. Anyway, I'm very surprised about the attention I'm getting, but I also don't really, I can't really understand it. Like, if you go to the Museum of American Natural History right now, the American Museum of Natural History <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now, the planetarium show is about dark matter. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, it isn't anymore, but a couple mm-hmm. months ago it was about dark matter. Mm-hmm. And a thing that Neil deGrasse Tyson says is that when you're in the universe, mm-hmm. no matter where you are in it, you always feel like you're in the center of it. Right. So I don't know if it's that mm-hmm. or if I'm really getting a lot of attention for this. Mm-hmm. It feels like I am. Well, but you're a beautiful writer. So let me you. finish on what would you give advice to people who are writing in this age? I think a lot of people are super twitchy. I think they're not they're not thoughtful and and you know, it seems to be what you showed is the same thing works. You're following in the footsteps a lot of great profile writers, right? Thank you. Um, what works now? What would you What would you say? Like radical honesty mm-hmm. and no commitment to form other than everything in the interest of telling a great story. Mm-hmm. Like no indulgence, no self indulgence, no funny asides unless they're needed, and radical compassion. Mm-hmm. I think that the internet, that a lot of things are so cruel right now. We're seeing so much cruelty in mm-hmm. in the world. That to have empathy for everyone mm-hmm. is is revolutionary right now, mm-hmm. and to do it, but also at the same time, it's pointed. You're not necessarily right. I'm not. I'm not a, a sucker, no. and I'm not a kiss ass. I, right. But I, but everyone has a point of view, and if I don't convey it, then I didn't do my job. Then what was I doing? Was I just riffing? Mm-hmm. Like if I got if I spent time with somebody and they conveyed their point of view to me, isn't it my job to tell you what they said? Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Right, a hundred percent. Such a delight, Taffy. Thank you so much for coming you. on the I'm show. A huge fan. The book is, well, I write about things not as interesting as yours, but Fleischman <laughs> is in trouble. It's by Taffy Brodesser Ackner. Uh, you should buy it. It's wonderful. I'm going to Europe, so you're going to read, I read pieces of it, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure to be in the simulation thank you. with you. Thank you. It's great. Thank it's you. Great. You're a great character in the simulation. <laughs> um, and thanks to you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Taffy, how can people find you? At Taffy Ackner. At Taffy Ackner. And then the book is... is Just find it in the stores and demand it. Demand it. Demand it. (laughs) Say, in hardcover. I would like it in an analog (laughs) version. I would like an analog version of the simulated book. Yeah. Red? Did you read it yourself for... No. No, for Audible? Not yet? You might. No, a professional actor did that. I know, but you could do it too. You can do the bridge version. I guess there is no... She'll love that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) If you like this episode, we really appreciate you sharing it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants, which is coming up. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then.